So Advent, what, what is Advent? As we're waiting and preparing and that, to move closer to Christmas, it's, it's a season of waiting and expectation. I think Advent is different than a, it's a different sort of waiting than we usually do. It's not about being anxious or aimlessly waiting. It's a, it has a purpose. It's waiting with confidence and with expectation. So what we want to push into this, the next four weeks here in this sermon series are four things, hope, joy, love, and peace in the midst of waiting. So in today's case, what I'm going to be exploring is hope and experiencing hope in the midst of waiting. My first question is, aren't we supposed to be hopeful people? I can tell you that I am not often a hopeful person. I think that sometimes when I am without hope, the sense I feel is a sense of being paralyzed with inaction. So, I, so it, may be, I'm, it may be that I, I know where I'm trying to get. Um, I know the person I'm trying to be, but it just doesn't happen. I'm seemingly just sort of stuck in the same place. Do you ever feel like that? Can you relate to that sense of hopelessness? I think there's other times we might feel hopeless. There's a lot of times we might feel hopeless, but these are, they're laying out three for us. So there are other times you might feel hopeless um, because you're in the midst of suffering. We've all been there. Um, life punches us in the face and we fall into that proverbial pit of suffering and we might feel like there is no end in sight. I don't think I really have to ask. I know that we've all been there. Specifically for me, that looked like in 2013, so about five years ago now, which is crazy, I had a, I had a battle with um, bone cancer, and it left me pretty hopeless. So for about a year each day, it was just pretty much about surviving the day and getting to the next one. Sometimes it really felt like there wasn't any time for hope. It was just really about sort of gritting my teeth and getting through. Um, I have hope that I'm past that, that I'm good, I'm healed, but I still get scans once a year. And every time, that rolls, every time that time rolls around, I have to really struggle to find hope when I'm waiting for those results to come in. Have you ever felt that type of hopelessness? Other times, the sense of hopelessness can strike us when we take into account the state of the world. I know I don't need to ask <laughs> whether you can feel that, but I have an Amazon Echo. Does anyone have one of these or like the Google Homes? Um, every morning when I'm making coffee, sort of wearily trying to wake up, I will say, Alexa, give me the news. And she updates me on the news, or I guess it, I don't know. It updates me on the news. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's quite handy. I really like it. Um, but recently, more and more, I've been feeling this hesitation to, I don't do I even want to know what Alexa is going to tell me has happened overnight? Because um, it just feels like there is an onslaught of news that makes me feel hopeless. I don't even think I have to ask. We all feel that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there is a lot that makes us feel hopeless. So let's move into thinking about what it might mean to experience hope in a time of waiting. There are three aspects of hope um, that I want to explore to you. The first is, where does our hope come from? The quick answer, I think our hope comes from what God has already done for us and this world. I think if we know this, believe this, and let it transform our lives, we might experience hope in the midst of waiting. Secondly, in order to experience hope, we need to know where we are going. We need to know our destination. Knowing how God has already begun the process 
of making us and this world whole again, I think that can give us hope. Thirdly, to become more hopeful people and to experience hope in the midst of waiting, we need to actively see and notice what God is doing in the here and now. Also, I want to talk about how we might cultivate hope. Um, I think my hunch is, is that hope doesn't just necessarily fall from the sky. Um, don't get me wrong, I do think that God can show up and give us hope, but I think that hope might be something like faith, patience, compassion, or any other attribute that we would like to be true about us. I think that we can strengthen up our ability to have hope and be hope. Um, so, before we run any further, let's, uh, let's pray. So let's, if you join me in prayer, join me in prayer. God, we ask that you would come here, that you would let your spirit settle in this place, that you would make yourself known to us. God, we need hope, and we want to become people who live hopeful lives and build hope in this world for others. Lord, I ask you that you would reveal yourself through this talk, that you would make known what you would like, to know, what you would like this community to learn. Amen. I need some water. I'm sorry. <laughs> So, before we go any further, let's define hope. Um, so this is going to be my sort of my working definition for hope. <clears throat> that way we can sort of have this definition as we jump into the text and just as we flesh things out more. So I think hope is a signpost. Hope is a signpost that points us in the direction that God is calling us to go. Even more, I think hope is a force that motivates and sustains us and gives us the power on the journey to get where God is calling us to be. When we are lost and looking for our way home, we need a signpost, right? And I think that is how hope works. So the text that we're going to be looking at today is um, from Colossians. It's, it's a letter that Paul wrote. He most likely wrote this in a city called Ephesus while he was in prison, so probably needing a little hope himself. And he's writing to um, a church plant that's in Colossae. It's pretty similar to um, what we're experiencing here. Um, they are people that have experienced the good news of Christ, and they are trying to live that out. And so Paul is um, writing them to encourage them, and specifically, I think, to give them a message of hope. So let's, uh, let's jump in here. It's Colossians 1, verses 3 through 6. Um, and this is just part of sort of his introduction as he's um, you know, in his letter that he's writing to them. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So I think what Paul is doing here is he's equating hope with gospel news, with, which essentially the, means that the people in Colossae, they, they've engaged in a relationship with Jesus that has transformed them, that is bearing fruit in their lives. And Paul wants to commend them and encourage them for the way that they have embraced the gospel and the way that that has changed their lives. Also, he says, hope is bearing fruit for them, and it is growing in the whole world. So this hope that has transformed the lives of the Christians in Colossae isn't just for them. It is moving out into the world and changing things. What we're beginning to see is that 
hope isn't just for us. So let's keep reading. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives you, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyfully thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, that was a lot. You're like that ambitious seminarian up there with his long-winded passages. We're going to break it down. So this passage, I think it off, this is where the, the signpost of hope comes in that we've been looking for. Paul is writing to the church in Colossae because they need hope to endure. Their struggle is very similar to ours. Um, if you read the Gospels and the, the letters in the Bible that the, early, that the authors have written in the early Christian church they wrote, they thought, they thought that Jesus was coming back like ASAP. They thought it was just around the corner. But as we know, Jesus had taken a little bit longer, and they had to sort of reorient things. They had to reorient their perspective and hope in order to endure um, for the long haul. Very similar to us. So Paul's message is attempting to aid them in their waiting, to give them a practical understanding of what it means to be hopeful people and how that plays out on a day-to-day. So where does our hope come from? The first and most obvious and Sunday school answer is that our hope comes from God. Specifically, I think our hope comes from the work that God has already done through Jesus. Paul says in verses uh, specifically 13 and 14, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is really important. This is what Paul is saying here. And this might be something you disagree with or maybe you agree with, but it is what Paul is saying. He's saying that we can't do the rescuing. You can't be the source of your own hope. The key word here is rescued. Right? If someone needs rescuing, it means that they need rescuing. They cannot do it on their own. So if someone's drowning in the water, right, they're not going to make it to back to shore on their own. They need someone to dive into the water and bring them back. Right? If your building is on fire, um, you're not going to be able to save yourself. Right? You need someone to rescue you. You need that fireman to run to the house and put out the fire and get you out of there. So put, some, put simply, Paul believes that our brokenness and the world's brokenness is just too big of a problem for us. And any hope that we can muster up ourselves, it's just not going to be enough. This realization that we can't save ourselves, that we can't fix the whole world, I think it cuts two, bit, two ways. I think at first it might make you feel helpless and obviously just overwhelmed. But I think what Paul says is take heart because God has already done the work to rescue us and the world. It may not seem like it because we are still in process, but God is in the business of making us and the world whole again. I think that, I think that we might become more hopeful people if we stop trying to save ourselves or the world and trust, the God, and trust God to do the heavy lifting. That doesn't mean that um, because we have this hope, 
that we don't try and make a difference in the world. I think, in fact, it, it, it's the opposite. This hope that we've received from the work that God has done to rescue us, it should inspire us and motivate us to go out and embody hope for the world. God has, God has done and continues to do the rescuing, but we get to take part in it. And taking part in this process, I think it can transform us and um, we can actually have an impact on the world. So let's now start to think about sort of where we are headed. We know where our hope comes from. Let's think about where we are headed and how that might shape our hope, specifically while we're waiting. Let's continue with Colossians. So Paul says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, We all have this feeling, right, that the world is just not the way that it's supposed to be. So if God is good, if God is loving, if God is all the things that God is described to be in the Bible, then the world has to be something more than this, right? It has to be um, more just, more whole. Um, don't get me wrong. There is so much good in this world, and I don't think it's really healthy to dwell too much and how much the world is messed up. But I think we do all have this sense, right, deep in our bones, that the world could be, that it ought to be, different. In verses 19 and 20, Paul says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul says that 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 through Jesus, God reconciled himself to all things, making peace. We could think of this as God through Jesus returning the rightful relationship between all things and God, <coughs> including us. Including us, God has reconciled us in our brokenness to God, opening up the door for right relationship and for us to experience wholeness, healing, and transformation. This is what our hope rests on. Also, what verses 19 through 20 tell us is that the effects of Jesus' work have cosmic implications, and I think this is pretty crazy. If we could think about specifically this, this section of, of Paul's letter, and we had to give it a heading, I think the heading would be, you are here. Imagine this section of the letter as a map of the entire cosmos. The whole story of creation and redemption, it's got goop though. If it, is, if it is a map, it's telling us where we are on the map. So if anyone is an avid hiker or goes, you know, knows how to read a map, everyone knows that if you're lost, the first thing you have to do is figure out where you are on the map. So, and a, sometimes a map really isn't that helpful for, to, to do that, right? You need um, a compass, you need the map, you need to know how to use those things as they all work together. Um, if you don't know, if you don't have a map and you don't have the knowledge, 
you might as well just throw the map out. <laughs> like, it's really just not going to help you very much. So um, I think Paul's message here, it's a map, it's a compass, and it's the knowledge to know how to use those tools um, to understand the whole story of creation and redemption and where we are in that. What Paul called reconciliation, but I think what we can simply just call God putting the world and us in right relationship with God, this includes all of the cosmos. Everything in the universe longs to be in right relationship with the creator. Paul, he really says this quite beautifully, if we can jump to Romans 8. So he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who long, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So our hope is not just that we will be saved, but that everything in this cosmos will also experience reconciliation. I think this should really change how we put hope into practice in this world. God entrusted the people of Israel to, be, to take part in this re- process of reconciliation. Paul viewed Israel as promise-bearing people. But what Paul says to the people in Colossae is that that is also true for you, and it's also true for you and I, is that we bear the promises of God, that God is and will reconcile God's self to us and all of the cosmos. If we stop to consider this, I think we realize this is a radically, radically hopeful message. Now, if we know where our hope comes from, how can we begin to build hope in our lives? I think if we begin to notice what God is doing right now, it might give us hope. Paul goes on to say we get to share in the inheritance of God, meaning that the kingdom of God that God is building here and now, we get to take part in that building. Think of the kingdom of God as making this world the way that God always dreamt the world might look, full of justice and peace and love and grace and diversity and inclusivity and beauty and all of the things that already make this world beautiful and hopeful, all those aspects of this world fully realized. I mentioned before, we don't have to try and save the whole world or even ourselves. God does the heavy lifting. God does the rescuing that we can't do. God is moving the arc of the universe closer and closer to wholeness. God's hope, Paul told us, is moving out into the world and bearing fruit with or without us. But God desires, God longs for us to participate in the making of the world the way that God always dreamt the world to be. And what Paul says here is that we get to share in the inheritance of the kingdom of God, of God's promises, as we actually become ambassadors of hope. Believing that what we might call new creation is possible now means that we aren't waiting to go to heaven. We are helping God build heaven here and now. This means that as we bear fruit, we create ripples that go out into the world and make real change. God's project that he launched 
through the work of Jesus, which is the project of bearing fruit, hope, making things new, and bringing us closer to wholeness, that can actually be something that we participate in, that we contribute to. I, uh, I recently heard this quote from Bobby Kennedy, and uh, I found it really quite inspiring and hopeful. Um, it goes like this. It is, from ni- it is from numberless, diverse acts of courage and belief that human history is shaped. Each time a person stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out against injustice, they send forth a tiny ripple of hope in crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring those ripples build a current which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. If we receive the hope that comes from knowing that God has rescued us, if we let it, I think it can inspire us and give us the power to go out and affect change in the world. I think it's easy to face your own inability to change, your own suffering, or maybe someone else's suffering, or the state of the world, and stand back and be paralyzed and overwhelmed to take it on. I think that, unfortunately, our default might be to be paralyzed. I think, but hear this. It is in the ordinary, daily situations that we create change and take part in the building of the kingdom of God here on earth. It is often in outwardly unspectacular ways that immorality, corruption, division, and oppression are defeated. And in those tiny ripples of hope that we get to create, we might add to the wave of hope that God is creating to rescue and change this world and us. How do we cultivate hope? How do we cultivate hope so that when we are discouraged or tired of waiting, we continue to push forward? I think first, I think we need to be realistic about the change and about change and about the journey we are on. Our journey in life with God is not to solve all of the world's problems, especially not overnight. <laughs> we are broken and the world is broken and God's arc of reconciliation Um, is long, but it does promise to eventually come to fruition in wholeness for us and for this world. For example, you might not be able to end structural racism overnight, okay? I wish you could, (laughs) really. But that does not mean that we stand back and be paralyzed from doing anything about that issue or any other big issue. The more that we have a clearer vision for what the kingdom of God looks like, the more that we will see the difference and the brokenness in our own world, and we, are, and we will know that we are called to do something about it. God's hope is moving in this world with or without us. Allow your passions and where God might be calling you to collide with the world's brokenness and lead you to embody hope in the world. Secondly, we need to widen out our perspective. I think this is really important um, when we are you know, maybe personally suffering, or really feeling that sense of hopelessness. Um, I think sometimes we can get a narrow vision. We have blinders on, and we can only see what is, what is directly in front of us. I think we need to put into practice the skill of, of taking a step back and seeing the wider picture. Take a step back and look at how God has faithfully worked in your life to get you to where you are right now. And take a, take a second to think about where God promises to eventually get you. Something super practical that I do 
is sometimes when I'm feeling um, overwhelmed or anxious or hopeless, I take a piece of paper and I draw a line down the middle of the piece of paper. On one side, I just write all of the things that are making me feel either hopeless or anxious or whatever. On the other side, I begin to write all of the things that God has been, all the ways that God has been faithful in my life, all the ways that I have seen God work in the world, things that, that give me hope. Almost immediately, the things um, on, that give me hope, they outweigh the things in my life that are causing me to be hopeless. Lastly, I think we need to start with hope. I, don't avoid reality, okay? Don't hear me saying that. But approach yourself and the world with a hopeful expectation that God is doing something to heal you and this world. And I'm speaking to myself right now. Maybe don't watch the news right before you go to bed and right when you wake up. <laughs> Fill your mind with images of hope. Hope should be the filter in which we interpret the brokenness that is displayed to us often through the news or that we experience in our lives. This could look lots of different ways for you. It might be simply doing the exercise that I just laid out before. It might be simply writing down the things in your life that give you hope. Um, it might be meditating, prayer, reading, music, um, anything that inspires hope in you. I think we should start there. That is what we, um, I think if we train our mind to work and to start with hope, I think it'll give us endurance when we run into things, and that will happen, right? When we run into things that wear us down. So, in conclusion, <laughs> think of hope coming from three different directions or times. Past, present, and future. Hope comes from the past. The work that God has already done through Jesus to rescue us, going back to what Paul said in verses 13 and 14, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. This has already happened. This should be our foundation of hope. Hope comes from what is happening right now, what is presently going on in the world, the way that God is moving in this world. Paul told us that God's hope, it's moving out into the world, and we get to participate in that process of God making the world a more loving and just and peaceful reality. The small actions and choices in which fill up our mundane lives are an opportunity to embody hope, to create ripples, and to take part in the wave of reconciliation that God is building for this whole world. Lastly, our hope comes from the future. Our hope comes from where, where we are headed and what God promises to do in the future. We can make an impact. If we are willing, if we are willing I think God will use us to transform this world with hope. But ultimately, we cannot rescue ourselves. And we have to let God do the heavy lifting. God's arc of justice, we have to trust that God is doing the heavy lifting. God's, 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 God's arc of justice and reconciliation is long, but God promises to complete the work of new creation that God started in Jesus. Let's pray. God, Make us people of hope. <clears throat> Allow our lives to be filled and marked by hope. Even in times of waiting or in times when this world overwhelms us with a sense of hopelessness, give us faith to believe that you will complete 
the good work of reconciliation that you started. Give us the courage, Lord, to jump in and answer your call and meet this world's brokenness with the hope you have given us. Amen. Almost wrap apart. <laughs> All right, thanks. First sermon ever, huh?